0: Ladies, welcome. <clears throat> We're studying Sefer Tehilim, David Amede Khalav Shalom. These classes are studied by the Alunishmat Sadek Mrs. Lily Medde Bali Shalom, project of her son, Dr. Rafi Medde Bishmere Wael, that accepted upon himself to have the Tehilim elucidated in memory of his mother. We try to study one chapter uh, at a time the elevation of our soul. Today we're learning chapter 58, Nun <clears throat> The chapter begins, Lam Naseah Al Tashchet. That's the theme of the chapter. David HaMelech wrote it for the Menatzeyach. The Menatzeyach is the conductor. He gave these songs to the conductor. and Ultimately, they would sing them in the Beit HaMikdash. And the beginning of the chapter David Melech is talking and he says Al Tashchet, Al Tashchet, don't destroy. What is this talking about? So like we've said in previous Shi'urim, to understand the chapter in Tehilim, you need to understand the chapter in Niviim. A lot of these chapters are based on things that happen in David Melech's life. So in order to understand this chapter, We uh, go to the book of Shemuel Aleph, and we have to go to Perek Chavav. If you read that chapter, you'll see that Shaul Melech ala Vashalom was taking his troops with him, 3,000 to be exact, and they uh, they were traveling. They were in a Midbar called Midbar Zif, Zif Midbar and they got to a certain valley called Givat Ha'akhila. It's on the Yeshimon plains. And David, who was running away from Sha'ul, because Sha'ul, as we learned from time to time, had these bouts of depression, and as a result, felt that David was an enemy of his, and therefore, David was running away from Sha'ul, but he sent spies, David, to go see where Sha'ul is hiding. And the Pasuk says that they actually found the area where Sha'ul and his men, his general Avner Ben Ner, were sleeping. Sha'ul was in the middle and he was surrounded by all layers of security. And the Pasuk says, uh, David asked, does anybody want to go into the area where Shaul is with him, is in the middle of the night, of course, it's scary, and the Pasuk says that Abishai, Abishai, who is the brother of Yoav bin Siruya, Yoav eventually would be David's general, his brother, Abishai, said, I volunteer, so David and Abishai now are going to go into the, I was going to say enemy territory, Shaul is really not an enemy, but he acts like an enemy. And they're going to go there and they see that indeed Shaul is sleeping. Now Hashem made a miracle and He put Shaul and all his men in a deep sleep. So when David and Abishai are going to penetrate the camp, they're not going to wake up. And behind Shaul, there was a sword, his sword. Before they used to go to sleep, they would take the sword out of their sheave and put it behind them. In the middle of the night, if somebody comes, they could just grab it and kill them, so they have it right behind them. And there was also a bucket of water that they covered for in the morning. That's the way Shaul went to sleep. So, at that point, Avishai <clears throat> got excited because he sees that Shaul is vulnerable and David now can once and for all kill his enemy. And if, Sha'ul, if David kills Shaul, there's nothing wrong because Shaul is a Rodef. Rodef means if somebody's chasing you, the halacha says, Haba lehorgecha If somebody's coming to chase you, you have every right to defend yourself. And Shaul had every intention to kill David. So at this point, when Abishai sees Shaul just lying there sleeping, Abishai says to David, Good news. God has delivered your enemy right into your hands. Akenu na Let me take my sword and all I need is one shot. If somebody knows how to use the sword, he doesn't need to stab a few times. He's able to take one shot and kill him. So Abishai says, Akenu na u ba'aris. I will... Take my sword and it'll reach the ground. I mean, it'll, it'll go right through Sha'ul. and I'll kill him. I don't have to. I don't have to stab him twice. And this is now the theme of our chapter. David tells Abishai, "Listen to the words closely." Al Tashitehu. al He tells him, "Don't do it. Don't destroy him." Hence, the beginning of our chapter. This song was written. At the time that David told Avishai, don't do it, don't kill Shaul. Now, why? Why not kill him? So the Pasuk continues in the Navi. Ki mi shalach yado Hashem Nobody ever gets away with killing the Mashiach Hashem, the anointed one from God. David still held that Shaul was a Sadiq. And therefore we felt, Listen, I'm not going to get away with it. It's going to come back to haunt me. It's going to come back to bite me. So therefore he said, Nobody gets exonerated from killing the Anointed One of God. So, what ended up happening? He tells Abishai, Instead, take his sword, And take his Nitya in water. As proof that they were there. So he takes the uh, equipment, And they sneak out and imagine that nobody woke up in the interim. And now they go back to their camp. And he takes the flask of water. And they went on their merry ways, we say. Nobody saw them, nobody heard them, nobody woke up. They all were sleeping. God put a deep slumber on the the camp of Sha'ul. Now, when David got to the other side, he now is going to be on top of the mountain. And now the Pasuk says there was a big distance between the two camps. David starts to scream, in a loud voice, on top of the mountain. El Avner Benner. He's calling Abner Ben who who's the general of Sha'ul, and he says, uh, uh, he says, um, Ta'ane Abner, Abner, answer me. Screaming. Vay'an Abner, Vayumar. So Abner hears some guy calling him, hey, answer me, I say. So he says, Ata Karata who is this? You're waking up the king. The king is sleeping. Who are you screaming on top of this mountain over here? So David tells Abner, you're supposed to be such a Hashuv guy, Abner. After all, he sat on the high court. Abner was a big Tamil Hakam, he sat on the Sanhedrin, besides being a warrior. But then he tells him, You're in contempt. Why didn't you do your job? Abner's primary job is what? To protect the king. And David is going to show Avner that he didn't protect the king. You left him vulnerable. After all, David's going to show him that I could have killed the king last night, nobody would have known the difference, and you're the, you're, you're, your job is primarily to protect the king, and therefore you're guilty. So he says to him, Last night somebody could have came to kill the king. And then he tells them, Because if somebody is guilty of causing the king harm, they're punishable by death. So David Amelik says, you should be punished by death for your uh, delinquency, and not protecting the king as you should have. And then he says, look, I have the king's sword and I have his water. Actually, he didn't tell them, he said, go see if the king's sword is where it's supposed to be. And when Abner came back and saw it wasn't there, he said, you're looking for this? You're looking for the water? And all of a sudden, Shaul uh, woke up, and all of a sudden it says in the Pasuk, HaKolecha ze beni David, this is amazing. He says, is that you? Is that your voice, my son David? All of a sudden he calls him my son. I don't want to say uh, a split personality. Uh, Shaul uh, at one point wants to kill him. And now all of a sudden he changes channels and he tells David, my son. Very hard to figure out. When Shaul was in a good mood, David could do no wrong. When Shaul was in a bad mood, David could do no right. And now all of a sudden, Shaul woke up on the right side of the bed that morning and he tells him, is that you, my son, David? And then uh, David comes along and says, my dear Shaul, what do you want from me? I didn't do anything to you. I don't want to kill you. I don't hate you. I have no animosity. What do you want from me? Leave me alone already. He's pleading with him. You're causing me to run like a refuge. I'm running into cities of Goyim. You're causing me to leave Eretz Yisrael. I'm living amongst the heathens. What what, what do you want from me? So, uh, Shaul comes along and says, Hatati. It's amazing. Hatati. I've sinned. Come back, and I promise I won't do anything to you. Now, David <laughs> doesn't listen. Even though Shaul told him, come back, he knows come back until when? Until he changes his mind again. So therefore, David was very cautious and hesitant to return back. And uh, he says, but I'll give you back your sword. And he sent back the sword, and then it you Shaddai in water. And at this point, David HaMelech starts to sing the song of how Hashem once again saved him from the hands of Sha'ul. So here we start again. Lam Naseya, the song that was written for the conductor, Al Tashchet, when David said to Abishai, don't kill him. Le David, said David, Michtam, the Ibn Isra explains, is a precious jewel. In Hebrew they call it ketem, ketem paz. Ketem paz is like very, very fine gold. So this chapter was a mechtam for David. He he, he had a great value of this chapter, like a precious jewel. Now what does he tell him? The pasuk says, (laughs) Ha-omnam elem, or elem, sedek tedaberun, mesharim teshpetu, B'nei Adam So he's telling him like this Literally the word Elam <coughs> is, a, is a mute Mute is somebody that can't talk So he's telling the people Of Abner And all those people of Sha'ul Ha'omnam is it justified Ha'omnam is like Emet Is it justified That you people are mute And what are you mute from? Tzedek to the Berun from speaking justice about me? You know I'm a good guy. You know I'm a righteous guy. So why don't you tell Sha'ul that? Umnam, do you think it's right, Elam, that you are mute from speaking tzedek, from speaking justice? Which means David is telling Abner and all the men of Shul, you're complicit. Because Sha'ul is being influenced by your hara that you speak about me. And as a result, he hates me. Is that justified? that when something is wrong and people keep quiet, when somebody sees an injustice, is it proper for him to keep quiet and not say anything? How <laughs> omnam is it justified? <laughs> to be silent like a mute. Tzedek <laughs> when instead you should speak. Tzedek, righteousness. Mesharim teshpetu bene adam, where you should judge a person in the right way now forget about them not being uh, not speaking up they actually like I said spoke less, or not, if you remember last week in the class or probably a month ago I don't know when the last class was but whenever we sat t- together last time we said you remember when Shaul's David ripped his garment David ripped Shaul's garment at one point to show him that he could have killed him and he said look I could have killed you I have your garment over here I have nothing against you And what did they tell Shaul? Nah, he didn't rip it. Maybe when you were walking into the cave, your jacket got caught in the thorns. And therefore, instead of promoting the peace and saying, look, he doesn't have anything against you, they came along and they turned the story to make it as if maybe he's not telling the truth. So therefore, forget about they didn't protect David. They tried to harm him. This is all about the Lashonara. Now this, Pasuk over here Chakam Baruch used to always explain this Pasuk to us based on the Gemara the Gemara says Ma ummanuto shel adam ba'olam what is a person's ummanut, what is the trade that a person should adopt for himself in this world everybody should have a trade so what should he do so the Gemara says, Ya'aseh atzmo Make yourself like a mute, even though you're not a mute. That means to be silent, don't talk so much. And a would say, you see from this Gemara that being silent is a trade. A trade is something that takes skill. I, would always, th- I always thought, and I thought for a long time, that speaking is a skill. And the rabbi would say, anybody could speak. Put two words together, make a sentence. Even a two-year-old could do that. But the skill of life is to be silent, to control the word. And therefore the Gemara says, what is the umanut that a person should adopt in this world? <clears throat> so again, read the pasuk again, ladies. Ha-Omnam. Omnam is now according to the Gemara from the word umanut. HaOmnam, the Umanut, the skill that a person should adopt, elim be quiet, don't talk so much, you don't have to always react, you don't have to have, have a word, or you, don't always have to, you, don't, you don't always have to have the last word, you don't always have the first word, Elem, not to say anything. And then it says, Tzedek <laughs> to the Gemara says, if that's the case, so maybe you're going to say, when it comes to the Torah you also should be silent? The Gemara says, no, when it comes to the Torah You could talk as much as you want. Tzedek tedaberun. When it comes to things of tzedek righteousness, which is the Vreya Torah and Mitzvot, there tedaberun. So that's the uh, Gemara's understanding of this case. But again, David HaMelech is telling his enemies this was no time for reticence and silence. This was not a time to show your skill of being silent. Especially when you have something justifiable to say, you're supposed to say it. Instead of keeping quiet... But worse, not only did you keep quiet, but you actually stirred the, the coals by instigating. And then the pasuk says, Now you just have to know just some words here. The word "Olot is not to be confused with the qurban olah with the sacrifice that she says that the word olot can be read like avlot. Avla is an injustice. Af beleb olot tef'alun. You have uh, in your hearts, you are uh, mustering and plotting and scheming all sorts of uh, machinations against me. Af beleb in your hearts olot tef'alun. By uh, and as a result, those bad ideas will come down to the artists. Hamas uh, Eventually, your bad ideas come to fruition and manifestation and reality on the land. Hamas the evil of your hands become uh, uh, weighted down uh, in the uh, in the scheme of. Of these uh, of these plans over here, now the Gemara even says an amazing things. There was questionable. Uh, we talked about this a lot. There was questions even on David's lineage. Uh, they questioned him even if he was able to marry into the congregation, because of his uh, descendancy from Ruth. Ruth was a Moabiah woman. And there's big questions, are we allowed to accept uh, converts from Moab? And even, even if we can accept converts from Moab, they can't marry into the congregation. So they, eh, whatever they could say about David, they threw it. Whatever stuck, stuck. Whatever they did, they didn't care. So they even questioned his, uh, forget about is he worthy to be the king or not? When they were discussing whether he's worthy to be the king, his enemy said, "Forget about that. You're putting the the the, the, the carriage in front of the horse." We didn't even get to decide if he's Jewish. Forget about whether he to be the king or not. So they threw, you know, a, a question on his on his lineage as well. The next pasuk, Zoru resha'im Mirachen, Taum Beten dobre Here, David the Melech says that. These enemies of mine were bad from birth. They were foreigners and strangers. Zoruh, milashon Zav. They were strangers to God from the time of birth. You ever hear in America when they say it was a bad seed? That's what they're saying about, that's what David Miller are saying. You were a bad seed. You were, from, from birth you were bad. Now, do we know anybody that was a bad seed from birth? Of course, Esav. And as she uses him as the example. You remember the Pasuk says, The children were wrestling in Rivka's womb. Who was wrestling? Who, what kind of babies wrestle? Esau was trying to kill the Yaakov even in the womb. So you see already he was from the birth, even from before, from conception, he was a Rasha. zodu Rasha'im Uh I will tell you, Ta'u betin. their blunder is from the from the belly, which means they are filled with deceit when, they're still, uh, when they were still uh, in their mother's womb. Now, I must tell you that the Gemara uses this pasuk. I'll tell you in the context of how it uses this pasuk. It's nice to learn the Tehilim and see how the Gemara takes these pasukim and tells you stories about them. The Gemara says in Yomah that if a pregnant woman is uh, fasting on Yom Kippur, and she has a desire to eat. So, a craving of a pregnant woman, we don't take lightly. Uh, you have to satisfy the craving. The Gemara says, if the pregnant woman doesn't get what she wants to eat, it can affect the child negatively. So that's why sometimes you see the husband wake up two o'clock in the morning and go buy ice cream for his wife. Because it's a it's a serious thing, it's serious on many fronts, it's serious for the husband also. The point is. So the Gemara says there was a lady that was pregnant and it was Yom Kippur and she wanted to eat. So the Gemara says in that case you go to the lady and you whisper in her ear and you say today is Yom Kippur. And if the craving goes away so then you know that the baby that's going to be born to that lady is going to be a big tzaddik. Because when you whispering in her your ear, you're not talking to the lady. She knows it's Yom Kippur. You're talking to the baby. The baby understands. So you say, "What you? Stop making your mother hungry. Today's Yom Kippur." So the Gemara says that they went to a certain woman and they whispered in her ear, "Today's Yom Kippur." And she said, ah, "I'm okay." <clears throat> and the rabbis promised her a great tzaddik, a great rabbi is going to come from you, and then. Similarly, the Gabbara tells another story of a lady and they whispered in her ear and they said, today is Yom Kippur and the craving didn't go away, didn't dissipate. And the rabbi said, look at this kid, the kids are going to come out and this mother is going, going to be a terror. And sure enough, was born to that lady the price gouger, the famous price gouger in the market that used to overcharge the people and the Gabbara says, you see, Zorru Shaim Mirachin that sometimes the child is already estranged from the womb. They knew that this child already from the womb, from already that Yom Kippur episode, was going to be, uh, was going to be a, uh, a troublemaker. Anyway, what David is saying to his enemies here, is saying, you were bad from the birth, you were bad from the womb. Hamat lamo kidmut hamat nahash, ki Wow, a lot of words over here. Now let's just get the, the meaning over here and then we'll put it in the right context. Hamat, Lamo, is the poison. The poison of a snake. Just like the snake, we'll called venom. So Hamat, Lamo, their venom that comes out of their mouth, Kidmut Hamat, Nahash, is similar to the venom that comes out of a poisonous snake. Just like the snake kills with his mouth... So too these enemies of David kill with their mouth, meaning with their Lashonara. They speak uh, venomous language against David. And then it says, Now, there's another type of snake. Uh, it's an older snake, zakin. Now what happens, it's called the fetin. Now, what happens to a fetin, an older snake? So that she tells us a biological phenomenon. When the older snake gets aged, he loses his hearing in one ear. Okay, so you thought only people lose their hearing? No, even snakes. So the next time you see an old snake, and you call it and it doesn't uh, respond, don't get offended. He's probably deaf. But the Gemara says... That he only loses his hearing in one ear. And then, for whatever reason, he takes dirt and clogs up his other ear. So, one ear he is physically deaf, and then the other ear he chooses to uh, clog it up. I'm reading it as she's language. <laughs> The has. Now what's the reason why he chooses to be deaf? Oh, so let me explain to you. Do you ever hear uh, about these snake charmers? Now, the charmer is somebody that uh, is able to say certain things, he has a stick, <coughs> and he's able to seduce the snake from damaging. In the olden days, they would call these people uh, Melahashim, a Lohesh. Lohesh. means he utters certain, you know, cantilations uh, to the snake, and uh, uh, somehow it takes away the snake's prowess to attack. Or they call it a Hover Haver. Hover Haver is also a type of power that they had. Now this old-time snake doesn't want to get influenced by these Melahashim because he knows that they're going to convince him not to attack. So what does he do? He deafens himself. So therefore, when they're talking and trying to seduce the snake from stopping to damage, they don't hear it. <clears throat> now, there's a mashal over here. It says, Asher, read the next passage. Asher lo yishma'l lekol Because they're deaf, they cannot hear the uh, voices of the lohesh, of those that are making the... Um, these uh, 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 words to them so they won't damage. Chover haverim mehukam. And these wise Chover Havarim snake uh, uh, seducers that know how to convince the snake not to damage, they do not hear them. Now, why is David Melech comparing his enemies to deaf snakes that do not hear the voice of the snake charmer? And the mshal is, He says, I don't hate Sha'ul and I'm not your enemy. However, you don't hear what I'm saying. You make yourself like you're deaf. How many times have I proven to you already that I could have killed Sha'ul and I didn't? And still you insist on making yourself uh, deaf, although willingly deaf, uh, in order not to hear my claims. So you're like the old snake that makes himself willfully deaf in order not to hear the snake of the, 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 the claim of the, of the charmer. That's the mashah that's going on uh, over here. And now the pasuk says, <laughs> Elohim, now he's praying to God, haros shinemo befimo destroy their teeth, the teeth that are in their mouth. I guess a snake has teeth. And it's with those teeth, the front teeth, he bites his victims. So therefore, if we're comparing the enemies of David to a snake, he says, God Almighty, destroy their teeth in their mouth. <malti'ot kefirim> the malteot Now, Malteot kifirim is the back teeth of a Of a lion. Uh, It seems those who, we call them uh, the grinders. Those are the the teeth that grind the prey of the lions. So God says, so David says, The grinding teeth of the lions, God Almighty, break them. Basically saying, take away their powers. And he's comparing his enemies again to... um, Uh, Dangerous snakes and lions. Very, very big, great imagination that he'd had in his poetry. The next line it says, "My enemies should melt away like water." That water melts; it just dissipates and just uh, flows away. When the water is you know, together, like an ice cube, it's in one place. But when it starts to melt, it just dissipates and it loses its, its, its bondness. And therefore, when the 3,000 men of Shaul were together, so that's power. So David Amelok is saying they should flow away like water that melts and therefore they will dissipate and therefore they will not have their uh, power. You know, I guess each... An individual raindrop is not as powerful as a pool of rain. Therefore he's saying let the drops of the water uh, dissipate, therefore they will not have their strength. The next pasuk, uh, end of the pasuk says, uh, Which is referring to their chitzav. That's their bows and arrows that they're shooting, they should, they should melt. They should dissipate. And they should be broken. Now again, the reason why he's using the word mashal to arrows, is because uh, David uh, is referring to their mouths that are being used like arrows to speak Lashonara. And we learned last week that uh, uh, when a person speaks Lashonara, it's like an arrow, the words go uh, a far distance. Now look at the next pasuk. This is called all the imagination of David. Kemo shabelul? They should be like a shabelul. Anybody know what a shabelul is? So that she calls it a Limbza. Okay, now you know what it is. It's a limtzah. The says it's basically a, an animal that's blind. That can't see, so what happens? It just keeps on making furrows in the ground, going up and in and out. Maybe it's like a weasel or some type of a burrowing animal. It's called a shabelul temes yahaloch. Actually, uh, I have to correct myself. The shabelul is more like a so Maybe it's like a snail, and it says that ultimately, as it starts to grow, it just disintegrates. As it comes out of its shell, and it just falls apart. Temis, Temis, as she says, Names. When the sun comes out, to give what our rights in Moed Katan, actually, we just learned it on Davav and the Dafa Yomi that uh, this sun comes out and causes this Shabelul uh, to dissipate. Now, the next thing is what I told you. Nefel eshet bal hazu Some say my enemy should be like the eshet, which is a tinshamit. Tinshamit is a bat. You have, you have the Americans saying blind is a bat. So the bat is blind. The gemara says good thing because if the bat had eyes and was able to see, it would be the strongest of all the creatures because it gets very fierce. But it's 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 handicapped. Just running around, it, 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 it can't see anything. And therefore he's punishing them, David, and saying they should be like the blind bat that cannot see in the day. That's what it means, nefel <laughs> eshet. Eshet is the bat. Bal hazu Shamish that cannot see the sun. Third explanation over here is like a, a, a baby that is miscarried by its mother that never saw the light of day. So nifel nifel is like nephalim, a miscarriage baby. Nefel eshet, a miscarried baby from a lady. Bal which basically they should remain in darkness. They should not be able to see their way clear to hurt me. Beterem yavinu atad. Now over here, he talks about two types of thorn bushes. Siro uh, Techem and Atad. Now, what is Sira? Sira is a small thorn bush. Atad is a big thorn bush. He says, You enemies are like an Atad, you're a big thorn bush. But I pray that the small thorn bushes, which means your children, should not grow up to learn from you, and therefore, he curses them, they should not reach maturity that God should kill the, or get rid of the, uh, uproot, I should say, the small thorn bush before it becomes a uh, maturated one, and therefore the young enemies should be uprooted before they become matured enemies. Now, Yismach Sadiq, the Sadiq, which is David, is happy, or will be happy. You know why he'll be happy? Ki hazana kam, because he sees the revenge in his enemies. Now that doesn't sound too Jewish, that we're supposed to revel in the uh, fall of our enemies. I think there's a saying somewhere that says bin We're not supposed to rejoice in the fall of our enemies. But here David says, and when that happens, and when our enemies are uh, subjugated, yismaḥ Sadiq. Sadiq will be happy, Ki come, he goes even further, bidam harasha, and he will bathe in the blood of the rashah. Now, don't take these things literally, David HaMelech will never bathe in anybody's blood, but that was an old custom in the war, when you were victorious, they would go to the enemy's camp, and they would wallow in the blood, that's just a sign of being victorious. Now, the question of course is, was David really saying that he is going to revel when he sees the revenge uh, of his enemies. So you must know, when the tzaddik sees the revenge of his enemies, he's not happy because of anything personal. It's not something that's to be taken on a personal matter level. Why is the tzaddik happy? Because of the Kiddush Hashem that ensues. What's the Kiddush Hashem? That when people see the tzaddik being punished by the Rasha, and they see that the wicked are prospering and that Sadiq is, the good guy is suffering. So what do the people say? Where's the good God? How does Hashem let them get away with this? Oh, must be, there's no justice. It must be God doesn't know. It. And they start to talk, chas bad things. But when revenge comes and that Sadiq is victorious over the Rasha, what do the people say? Ah, there's a good God in the world. Justice is met. There's, uh, there's, there, there, there's revenge. There's punishment. There's, there's justice, and therefore it makes God's glory greater. Therefore, that sadiq is happy, not for himself, that when justice is made for the rishaim, it causes God's name to be exalted. That's what the next pasuk. The yomar Adam, Adam is the regular guy is going to say when he sees justice. Ach peri la sadiq. You know what he's going to say. There's fruits for the tzaddik. Meaning, the, you see that there's benefits in being a tzaddik. This is the fruits that the tzaddik have. Ach, yesh Elohim, shuftim ba'aris. <laughs> Indeed, there is a God that is a judge on earth. And that's what Ebeda Melech says. The tzaddik will be happy. tzaddik, hazanaka. Now, in conclusion, I'd like to explain this last pasu with a famous... Uh, Gemara. I think you know this Gemara. I want to review it and say a big hadush from the Hatam Sofer on this. The, uh, the Gemara says that Yaakov Abinu died. Fine. Although the Gemara in Ta'anit says Yaakov Abinu Lomet. He didn't die. We'll have to explain that. And, uh, did he die or didn't he die? The Gemara says, well, they eulogized him. So the Gemara assumes that if they eulogized him, he must have been dead. There must have been a coffin there, and somebody made a hispid. So the Gemara will uh, will have to answer that question. Is he alive or not? But let's talk about the funeral procession of Yaakov Abinu. It's a famous, dramatic story. After they embalmed him in Egypt, so you see, they embalmed him also. So how can you say he, he's alive? Uh, they mummified him. All right, that's Kimmerat's question also. Anyway, after the whole process that they mummified him in Egypt, it was a seven-day, 70-day process, they then made the entourage from Egypt to Hebron, to the Ma'arat of Makhpila. They had to go from one country to the other. Okay, probably had to take COVID tests in between. But nonetheless, they had to take Yaakov Abinu's body, and they had to inter him in the grave of the fathers, the Ma'arat Mahpelah. Now you know what happened at that point? When they were traveling, and they got to Ma'arat HaMakhpela, it's all the children of Yaakov, his grandchildren, the whole family, everybody's there. Who showed up to the funeral? His brother. Now, his brother didn't show up to make a speech. You know, he, didn't, he didn't show up to rip his clothes and sit on the floor and say, Kaddish, I guarantee you that. Esav showed up to contest the will Esav doesn't care about anything else he just cares about the will and what was his claim? his claim was that the that plot belongs to him claim he's the firstborn and there's only one plot and therefore he belongs to him therefore go bury him uh, go bury Yaakov somewhere else go bury him in Staten Island but he, he can't be buried over here he was contesting and he was delaying the burial process. You following? The brothers came along and said, What are you talking about, you crook? That's their uncle. But sometimes your uncle can be a crook at the same time. So he said, You crook. He said, Our father bought it from you. My father, our father bought the Marat with all the money that he made in Laban's house, all in. He gave all the money to Isab to buy the Mara. So what are you talking about? So Esav says, well, do you have the deed? I want to see the deed, show me the, show me the papers. All of a sudden he became a lawyer, Esav wants to see the deed. So they said, well, we, don't, we didn't bring the deed with us because we didn't think that you're gonna show up to the funeral and make this uh, you know, impediment, this uh, delay, but it's in Egypt. So he said, fine, I'm gonna wait here and I'm not letting you bury your father till you get the deed and show it to me troublemaker now they just landed in uh, in Hebron and they didn't go by flight they, they they walked now they have to go all the way back to Egypt get the deed come back so they sent uh, Naftali. Naftali was a very fast runner the Torah tells us he was swift like a gazelle so all of a sudden Naftali starts to put on his, uh, his uh, pro kids, his sneakers and now he's going to start running back to Egypt in order to get the deed. Who's watching all this unfold? Yaqub Abinu had a special grandchild. shouldn't think that special children are a new phenomenon. Special children were around even in the times of Yaqub Abinu. He had a grandson by the name of Hoshim who was deaf. Deaf child. They was called autistic child or special child he had a grandson that was deaf and uh he really obviously he couldn't hear what was going on, but he was very astute and he sees Esab waving his hands you know he could see, and he sees the brothers yelling at Esab and he sees his grandfather's grave just lying waiting to be buried and obviously he sees a uh, 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 Naftali filling his water bottle to get ready to run back to to Egypt. What's going on over here? So he put two and two together. And he said, this guy over here is delaying my grandfather's uh, funeral. So in an act of great bravery and courage, Hoshim picked up a club or a a sword and in one swoop, he went across like this, like a samurai, And he decapitated Esab's head. And everybody lived happily ever after. Esab's head fell off. And they told Naftali, Hey, forget about come back. You don't got to get the deed. There's no, no, no need for the deed. This guy's dead. And then they buried uh, Yaakov. And the Gemara says this in Sotah on page uh, 13. And the Gemara at this point quotes a pasuk from our chapter. Unbelievable. What does it say? When Yaakov saw that his grandson killed Esav, Esav's rasha. So the Pasuk says, Yismach Sadiq ki hazana kam. It says that Sadiq uh, will rejoice because he saw revenge. The Gemara says, for a short moment, Yaakov opened his eyes. You ever go to a funeral where the deceased opens his eyes? In those days, these things happen. Yaakov is lying there, and all of a sudden, after Esau's head gets chopped off, he opens his eyes, and he winks to his grandson, as if to tell him, "Hazak Baruch, Yismach Sadiq, the Sadiq rejoiced, Ki hazana kam, because he saw revenge. And that's the Gemara, and based on this, the Maharsha on that Gemara explains our chapter. Listen, Now he explains it beautifully. Zoru Rishaim Mirahim. Remember, we learned there are certain kids that are bad seeds from birth, from conception. Who is that? Esav. We know already from beginning, from day one, he was trying to wrestle his way out to go to the houses of Abu Dazara. Ta'el Dabir Kazab. He was a liar and he was filled with deceit. And what was the deceit that he had, like the Pasuk says? That he claimed along and said, I never sold my share to Yaakov, so he was a Dobir Kazab. He spoke lies. When did he speak lies? At the funeral. He is deceptive, like the snake of a, that was in the times of Adam Arishon. And what? He came with his anger in order to delay the burial. Because he comes from the negative strengths of the Nahash. Nahash Kadmon, which is the Yetzirah. The Amar, and what does the pasuk say? Remember, we said, we talked about in this chapter about the deaf snake. Who was the deaf snake based on this? Hoshim. Came the deaf snake, the one that cannot hear, the one that was Hirish. He wasn't able to hear the snake charmer. Who's the snake charmer? Isab. Isab's trying to seduce the brothers. No, it's mine. You don't know. He didn't sell it. He didn't hear the snake charmer because he was deaf. And therefore, instead of him getting seduced, what did he do? He figured out exactly, wait, why are they sending Naftali back? He was a hacham. Why are the brothers sending back Naftali back to Egypt? He says, ah, must be, because this guy, Esab, is holding the... Uh, and therefore, haras shinemo. Break their teeth. Whose teeth? The teeth of Esav. When he took the club and he clubbed his head off over there, it says in the Gemara, his eyeballs fell out. Good fib. I don't want to get too graphic, but it says his eyeballs fell out. Like it says in the pasuk, Nafal eshet bal Hazu. Like we learned about those, the bat that can't see, they go blind. Esav went, went, went blind. And then it says, Yaakov opened his eyes, and that's why the pasuk says, Yismah Sadiq. Yismak sadiq. The tzaddik will rejoice. It says, actually, Yaakov was laughing when he saw Yismah Sadiq. Now, that's the gemara, but I saw beautiful hatam sofer over here. He says, the gemara only tells us the beginning of the pasuk. Yismah Sadiq, Yaakov will rejoice because he saw the uh, revenge. bedam When he sees the blood of the rashah Esav on the floor, he was happy. The Yomar. Now, this is the part of the Hatam Sopher. The Yomar Adam. Adam is Yaakov Abinu. Who was the Gilgud of Adam Rishon. Ach peri letsadik. He says, "Behold, the tzaddik has fruit." What does it mean? "Behold, the tzaddik has fruit." Unbelievable Hatam Sopher. He says like this. You ever see when somebody dies? They say. Rest in peace. The tzaddik, he doesn't rest in peace as long as he thinks that his children are in spiritual danger. How can the tzaddik go into his grave when he was alive, the tzaddik, he knows he protects his children, he gives them Musa, he gives them teachings, and teaches them Torah, etc. But when the tzaddik dies and there's so much bad influence in the world, the tzaddik dies with great nervousness. How was my children going to be raised on the straight and narrow path? When Yaakov Abinu died in Egypt, he was dead. You know what it means? He was dead. It was a painful death because when he died, Esav was still alive. And when Yaakov died, you know what his uh, uh, his, his 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 fear was? His fear was that now that I'm gone, Uncle Esav is going to come in and influence my family. And we know that that was Esav's intention the whole time. But he couldn't get in because Yaakov was blocking him. But now that Yaakov Aminu passes, so the Gemara initially is assuming that when Yaakov died in Egypt, he died. Meaning it was a painful death in the sense that he died with fear of what's going to be with my children. Because after all, Esav is still alive. And the Gemara says, uh, they eulogized him. They said, yeah, it's true. At the time of the eulogy, Esab was still alive. Because the eulogy was done in Egypt. Esab lived another 70 days. But what happened? When they came to the actual burial, on that day of the burial, well, all the children of Yaakov were around. What ended up happening on that day? Esab got killed. At that point, the Gemara says, Yaakov Lomit. Now Yaakov Abinu was considered that he didn't die. Because now we can rest in peace. Because now he knows Uncle Esab will not be able to influence his children. Now he's guaranteed that his children will remain on the straight, and narrow path of Torah. And therefore Yaakov Abinu Lomit means on the day that he was buried, which means the day that Esab died. And that's what it means in the Pasuk says, Hatab the Yomar Adam, Adam is referring to Yaakov, Ach piri la tzaddik. I have fruit. Who's the fruit of the Tzaddik? His children. When did he say, I have fruit? On the day that he saw Hazan Akam, when he saw the revenge of Esav dying. At that point over there, we say Yaakov Abinu Lomet. So really, it's that... It doesn't mean he's still alive walking around somewhere in in, in Jerusalem. No, it means that he went to the grave. He knew that his children are spiritually stable. Initially, when he died in Egypt, it could be met. Because Esau was still alive. That's why they eulogized him. That's not a question. Of course he died. Nobody questions that. They even embalmed him. They even mummified him. But the question is, did he die in peace or not? So when you say that Sadiq dies in peace, it means lomet. He didn't die; he, he died with, with, with he's actually living because he knows he left his children in a good in a good uh, in a good uh, uh, trajectory in a good path. But Yaakov ibn when he died, he wasn't sure of the trajectory of his children because he was worried about Esav that can veer them off track. But once Esav was killed, on that the Gemara says Yaakov lomet. Yaakov can go to the grave now, at the time of the burial, a happy man. Why? Because he knows his children will remain to live in the proper Jewish way. Why? Because Esau is not there. And that's when he learns the Pasuk. Yaakov Abinu says, There is a pli to All my hard work of bringing fruit into the world is not for naught. I know the perot will not go spoiled, they will not go rancid. they will not deteriorate, because Esav is not here to spoil it. And that's why the tzaddik was happy. Ach, Yesh, Elohim, shoftim ba'aretz, because God has brought justice into the world. So you see, these pesuchim are so beautiful, they can be learned on so many levels, they can be learned as the personal story of David HaMelech, and then you can take them out of their natural context and learn them as a history of Yaakov, Abinu, and Esav. Nonetheless, David HaMelech, when he wrote these chapters, he had all these kavanot uh, in mind. And we end at a very, very good moment because we talk about that Sadiq sees revenge. And we couldn't have read it on a better day. Today is Oshkodesh Adar. I wish all our members a Chodesh Tov. albeit it's Adar Rishon. Normally and regularly, it would be two weeks away from Purim. Probably no ladies will be showing up to the class today. But being that it's a leap year, so we have uh, Purim actually six weeks out. And I won't tell you what Pesach means is ten weeks away. But the point is that the Gemara says that there was a great Sadiq that also saw the revenge of his enemy. And who's the tzaddik? Mordechai Sadiq. And who's the enemy that he saw fall? Haman Rasha ze ki ze And as we know, uh, as a result it says, And it says, That when we enter, even the first Adar, already our joy and Samha is, uh, you know, uh, uh, ramped up. And therefore we couldn't have read a better Pasuk to give us an illusion that already we're entering the days of Geulah. And just like our enemies, Yaakov Abinu saw the downfall of Isav, and David Amalek saw the downfall of his enemies, and Mordechai saw the downfall of Haman, there's still a few enemies left that we have to wait for their downfall. But this uh, chapter, and mainly the fact that we studied it today, should be a good omen for us that the ultimate nekama, like we say, el nekamo tashem, The ultimate revenge to our arch enemies will be seen in our days and the Pasuk will be fulfilled on us. There will be light and joy as the Pasuk says, Amen Amen.